everyone and Pastor Joe always prepared and Jerry on Friday we had a we had a title off Brother in Jesus this whole message. It's been a great weekend guys. We want to thank those who are here this morning. I just want to invite my sister Carmen up. She's gonna be testifying.
deliverer, our healer, our strong tower. Jesus, we lift you up, Lord. We worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords. In your words this morning, your words to our King. Come on, tell us. There's no one like you, Jesus. You're greater than that. You're greater than how we feel. I don't know how you may have felt coming in this morning and the things you got going on. And God is greater than everything. And when we decide in our hearts and our minds that he is God and we put him first and we come with the attitude of worship, man, God is doing some great things. And he is speaking and his spirit's moving in power this morning. 
come on. So we're going to sing this next song. And it's talking about how great our God is. He's the great I am. Come on, take the next couple of seconds, take next couple of moments right now. Just tell them, come on, God, you're the great I am. God, there's no one greater than you. Hey! 
lift your hands in this place. Every person, lift your hands. Sing it out this morning. I surrender all, Jesus. I surrender it all to you this morning. Come on and lift your hands with me. Sarara Nabakuto, Rokumo, said, 
this morning for your freedom we thank you for the cross we thank you Jesus that you have covered us in your righteousness we thank you Lord for the victory that we have in you we thank you Jesus we thank you come on and give him a hand clap of praise in this place come on give him some glory worship him of God this morning. I want to take this time to dismiss our children to the back. Come on. Hallelujah. There is no place that I'd rather be this morning than in his presence. No place like the presence of God. My name is Lauren Sienski. I'm one of the pastoral elders here at Metro Praise International. And we just want to welcome you this morning. And I feel so honored to stand before you and be able to present to you the greatest news that you will ever hear in your entire life. This is the best news that your ears will ever hear, and it is the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. The gospel. If you will turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 5.21. this message every week from different pastors presented a different way but it's all the same message and we tell it to you because we love you we tell it to you because we want to see you succeed in the kingdom of God we want to see you go to heaven and we want to see you have abundant life here on this earth through Jesus 
This is why we tell you this message every week. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first part of this verse that I want to talk about is he who had no sin to be sin for us. See, sin came with penalty. Sin came, it comes with punishment. And in the natural world, we understand this so well. If there's somebody that murders another person, or if you're at the grocery store and you see someone stealing, what do you do? If you see something wrong being done, you call the police. <laughs> you call the police and hopefully they get arrested and they get put behind bars so that they don't do the same thing again. But it's the same thing with sin. See, they did the crime, they have to do the time, and it's the same thing. When we sin against the holy God, there comes with penalty, it comes with punishment. It would be right for us to be punished for the sins that we have committed against God. Somebody say, it is right that we be punished for our sins. But Jesus, you don't have to repeat me anymore. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus came and took that punishment. So now those who have said yes to Jesus Christ have become the righteousness of God. So now when God the Father, the Holy God looks at us that have said yes, he sees his son. He sees righteousness. He sees holiness. He sees that our sin, our punishment, our penalty has been paid. We don't know anymore. We don't know because Jesus took it all on the cross. And there are some in this room that I know have said yes to that Jesus. I know that they are going to heaven with me. But there's others in this room that may have not said yes. And I want you to listen to the me this morning. I urge you, I urge you with urgency. Let there be urgency in your spirit to say yes today. If you remember that old song, it says, time is on your side. Yeah, it's not. That's a lie. <laughs> Time is not on your side. If you listen to the news, if you see what's happening in Chicago, people are dying at an extraordinary rate. Let there be an urgency inside of you today. Amen. If you can stand with me in this place. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that you took our place, King Jesus that our penalty has been paid, that our punishment has been paid. And I pray for every person in this room, God, that is not right with you. I pray today would be the day that they get right, that they say yes to you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If that message was for you, if you felt the tugging of the Holy Spirit, we have some prayer workers over here, Pastor Christina and Ricky. During our fellowship video, if you want to go and talk to them, they will talk to you about what it is to be saved. They'll talk to you about discipleship to get you plugged into the church. Amen? Okay. Now we're going to recite our confession of faith. If anybody needs a copy, just raise your hand and our ushers will come around and give you one. We say this every week because this is our Christian worldview. And what better time to do it 
then to close out a truth is conference because right here this is truth so we're gonna say it again <laughs> we're gonna declare it to the world and we're gonna remind ourselves this is what we believe this is truth this is what we stand on amen so let's say it on the count of three one two three i believe in one god and creator your neighbor. Shake somebody's hand that you don't know today.
Who's excited to be in the house of God? Amen. Thank you to all the first-time visitors who are here with us this morning. Amen. So much love, right? All right, please make your way back to your seats. Here at MPI, we have two main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. Yes, Fridays at 7 p.m. here at MPI. At this church, we have a vision of loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus Christ gave us, right? And the way that we do that here, the way that we live that out is through our discipleship strategy. We do that through connect, mentor, and send. We want to make sure that every person in this room is connected to Jesus Christ, the truth, right? We want you guys to know the truth, be connected to Jesus, and then to get connected to one of the life groups that we have going out throughout the week. Somebody say life group. Life groups are a place where disciples share life. And so here is the listing of all the, dis uh, the life groups that we have going on throughout the month. And they're also on the back of your announcements. So here is what we have going on this week. Tonight we have Encounter Prayer Group going on at 5 p.m. Yes. And then we have today we have Sunday Fellowship Group, right? We're going out bowling. Yes, at 3 p.m. Please talk to Ishmael for more information right over there. That's your guy. Then we have Wednesday Kings Kids. Come on, Wednesday for the children. Yes, from the ages of infant all the way up to 11 years of age. Parents, you can drop off your kids or you can hang out with them as well. And then Friday, adult Bible study at my place, going through the Word of God, praying, fellowshipping. Yes. And then lastly, this Saturday, we have evangelism at 5 p.m. Talk to Pastor Deanna for more info. If you want to take in all that you've received this week, this weekend, in the Truth Is Conference, you just want to say, God, use me. Meet with Pastor Deanna as she goes out and shares her faith, your faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so after you get connected, we want to make sure that you know how to live like Jesus. Do you guys feel God's presence this morning? Uh, we got some people that decided, hey, I want to live for Jesus this morning. And you're like, what do I do now? How do I go home and just live this out? Discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. Yes, somebody in this church wants to mentor you. Somebody in this church wants to say, hey, I want to walk this road with you, this journey with you. So talk to one of the elders or deacons this morning. Get connected for discipleship, um, and they'll meet with you at a time that's convenient with you. And then after you graduate, the one-on-one, -on -one, you, you go on to the 201 class with Pastor Jared. 201, Sundays at 8 a.m. God wants to train you up because he wants to send you out. Somebody say send. He wants to send you out into the into the world to share Jesus Christ, to share your faith. Amen. And we got a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of, of Chicago, 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. If you believe God can do it, come on, say amen. Amen. All right, now it's time to prepare to give. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. This is through our online giving book. We are on lesson number 12. The lesson is called The Tithe Breaks Greed Through Obedience. Obedience. All right, so if you're with me in Matthew 6, 24, let's read. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, 
or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Amen? Let's see what we can take out of this passage. Here are the main points. Number one, you cannot serve two masters. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. The lordship of Jesus includes everything from your heart to your wallet. Amen? Come on, you can say, God, I surrender. You were singing that song on a Sunday morning. I surrender, I surrender, accept my money. You know, it's like, accept my Starbucks, accept, you know, my, my uh, grocery money. No, it's like I surrender all in obedience to him. Number two, you cannot love God and money. Notice how Jesus chose money to be the number one competing master for the Christian's life. Jesus chose to make money the primary example because it represents the most common idol people set up in their hearts. The sinful, greedy heart proudly says, I work hard for my money, and I will spend it however I want. My family and my bills come first in my life, not the church. So, you know, some of us may not say it that way. Some of us may not, hey, that's not really me. But when you put your family first, and when you say, I got to do this, and it comes out of fear, you are doing that. Number three, money is the best indicator of who your Lord is. If you are not willing to be faithful, to give God your best in tithes and offerings, you are making a choice to serve money instead of God. So greed is not just the sin for the rich and famous, but it is the sin of all who refuse to make Jesus the Lord of their money. And number four, giving breaks, giving breaks the attitude of greed. Every time you give your tithe to God, you are breaking the chains of greed that come from the master of money, and you are choosing to serve Jesus as the Lord of your wallet. Amen? Let's summarize this. Be obedient to God in the faithful giving of your tithe so the sin of greed doesn't take mastery of your heart. Amen? Money is a tool. It's not something that we should idolize. It's a tool that we can use to advance the kingdom of God. But if we don't take care of this, if we are not obedient with how God set things up to be, it can rule our lives. So, how do we apply this? Number one, ask God to forgive you for being greedy if you've been serving money rather than Jesus. Number two, be devoted and obedient to Jesus as the Lord over all your life. And number three, give your tithes faithfully as an act of worship to Jesus, who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Amen. Let's recite this together over our confession, over our tithe. I'm sorry. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. Tithe is 10% of our total income that we give to God faithfully. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. You decide where that offering goes, whether to building or missions. This year we're taking a missions trip to the Philippines. And we, yes, and we are raising $20,000 to make this happen. And we are well on our way. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for partnering with God and his kingdom, what he's doing in this church. So now let's recite this together. Acts 20, 35. 
the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you for all that you're doing in this church and through this church, God. Father, we lift up the missions trip, and we just ask, dear God, that you would make way, dear God, for the preachers to go forth, to take your word, to impact lives in the Philippines, Father. I pray for the giver in this place, Father, to have an open heart, to let go of greed, dear God, and receive everything that you have for them as they're obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Please come up as you give. today. Woo! I feel the excitement. I've had countless people just randomly, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. How many of you are on a high after this weekend? Raise your hand, please, or make some shout really, really loud right now. Who is on a high? We had a go. We went really, 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 really deep. Somebody say deep. And we came up really, really, really high. So we had a deep weekend of just information and knowledge of defending the faith. And we just had an amazing Truth, in Co Truth Is conference. And today comes to a close. And I just want to commend everybody who came out, who were able to clear out their schedules, take off work, bring their kids, because there was a deposit that was made in your life this weekend. And there's going to come a time where God's going to withdraw it. Amen? So all of you who invested your time into this weekend, thank you for coming. We wanted to do this for you. We wanted to do it for our city. And now with each and every one of us having this deposit inside, we can go pour it out to the world around us. Amen? To this awesome city. For those that missed it, I want to let you know we have more um, booklets in the back for you. So if you missed the conference, if you did not get one of these, please get one today before you leave because every single session was recorded. You will be able to go to the website and listen to it, and you can follow along and fill out these notes. It will be well worth your time. Amen? Praise the Lord. So today we're closing it out with truth is never ashamed. Look to your neighbor and say, don't be ashamed. I want to give an introductory recap to the weekend. I cannot do justice to these men's messages, okay? in 60 seconds, so I really encourage you to go back and listen to it, but I'm going to do my best right now. Friday, session number one, we had Pastor Jared come up and talk to us about how truth is grounded in Jesus, and he gave us two levels of truth, universals and particulars. Say universals and particulars, and universals are basically what we believe. It's the questions like, is there a God? Who am I? What am I doing here? And the particulars is how we live. So what we believe, 
and how we live. How should I treat others? How can I know right from wrong? Everybody lives their life based on these two areas. And how you answer your universals will affect the answer to the particulars. They cannot contradict each other. And many people today live their lives in a contradictory way because how they, how they believe about God and how they believe about who they are sometimes isn't the way they live out their particulars. It's not how they live their life. Amen? So when you look at the Christian faith, as much as it is attacked, and we are called the hypocrites, in reality, it's actually the opposite. Because people who base their beliefs, who base their universal truth, not believing in God, are living hypocritical life because that's not how they're living. And we'll get into that more. And he closed out with, there is an ultimate truth, and his name is Jesus, fully God and fully man. And the famous quote of the weekend is as follows. Comparing Jesus to any other man, any other messenger, anybody else who came and claimed that they had this uh, prophetic word or a message of salvation, comparing Jesus to anybody else is like comparing the sun to a flashlight without batteries. There is nobody like Jesus. He is our resurrected Lord. And Pastor Ellie took over on Saturday, and he talked to us about how truth is true for everyone. And these were the three points that he gave to us. God's view of the world is the absolute view. How he sees it is how it is, period. Number two, man cannot decide what is true. You cannot create your own truth. It is absolute. It's already set in stone. And number three, truth can set you free or it can condemn you forever. Why? Because truth is a person and he sets free and he condemns. And it's based on us accepting or rejecting him. And Pastor Joe came up yesterday, the session number three. Truth is always prepared. Look to your neighbor and ask him, are you prepared? He came up and he gave us the definition of apologetics, which was the basis of our whole, this whole conference. This is the first time that Metro Praise International has had an apologetics conference. And it shows the heartbeat that we have for the loss in our city. The definition of apologetics is the discipline of defending scriptural truths through systematic use of biblical information. And there were three areas that apologetics is needed. And number one, apologetics is needed for the secular skeptic's belief. Secular means non-religious. So in order for us to defend scriptural truths, we need to understand all this biblical information. So apologetics is used for that. An example of secular skeptics' beliefs are evolution and relativism. The second thing that apologetics is needed for is for Christian cults' beliefs. And he went thoroughly through what these cults believe and what they believe about God and what their gospel is. An example is Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And we are fully prepared and equipped to when we street preach to go out and defend our faith. Amen? And number three, world religions beliefs. Islam and New Age. We must be able to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That was the recap of our weekend. Now let's get into session number four. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And please follow along in your notes for those of you 
who have it with you, I would encourage you to remember to journal, continue to fill out and answer the questions that were given to you. If you would like one right now, we'll take out some time and have the ushers give you one right now. So if you would like one, please raise your hand up high, wave it in the air like you care. We got a lot of people. So let's just take a few seconds before I get into it. I should have said this earlier. So if you want one now, we will give one to you right now. So keep them up, up high so we can get to you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's at least twelve to fifteen people that need one. Praise the Lord. So follow along. It's going to be session four, so it's going to be um, all the way to the back. And I'll tell you what page right now. Page eighteen. Amen. If you're there, Romans chapter one, verse sixteen. Say, I'm there. And we could hand out pens and everything as we go along. So as we fill out this portion, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Say, I am not ashamed. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. How many unashamed people of God do I have in this room? We are to be unashamed of this gospel that has the power of God to bring salvation to all mankind. Truth is defined as follows. This is a definition that we've used for truth this whole weekend. Truth is facts corresponding to God's created order. Somebody say order. And his revelation in scripture. And I want to pause right here. I want to just kind of spend some time here right now because for me this definition of truth blessed me this weekend how many of you are glad that there is an order that we live by in life okay truth is absolute or it's relative and joe touched on this and ellie touched on this truth is absolute okay the definition for absolute was given yesterday it's perfect or complete and pure without restriction or qualification Truth is absolute. It is not relative. Some people think it's relative. Relative means whatever is true for you and whatever is true for me. If we lived in a world where there was no absolute truth, there would be mass chaos. God created order. There is a created order to our universe. How many of you are glad that in our universe, all these galaxies, all of our planets, and our solar system are not wildly spinning out of control. There is a created order because God made it that way. How many are happy that there's an absolute truth to mathematics? Joe touched on this yesterday. And I want to give you an example to kind of bring it home here. If there was no absolute truth in our world, this is kind of what it would be like. You go to a bank and you want to make a deposit into your savings account. You know that in your savings account, you have $1,000, and you are going to make a deposit for 500 How much should your receipt back say your total is now in your account? But, the, but your receipt says 1200 You will look at that, and you would think that there's a problem, correct? So you tell the bank teller, I gave you 500 I had 1000 in there. Something's wrong. And she'll be like, well, what do you mean? You're going to say 1,000 plus 500 equals 1,500. No, it doesn't. 
Not to me, it doesn't. To me, it equals $1,200. How many of you guys know that would be mass chaos in this world if there was not an absolute truth to our life? Truth are facts corresponding to God's created order. He didn't create chaos. He is a God of order. How about measurements? There's an absolute truth by the way we build things. How many of you guys happy that when they build expressways, the 90 right now is being constructed to a four-lane highway? Praise the Lord. I am happy that there is a truth to measurements and how all that gets fixed. There is truth to the measurements of how buildings get built. Amen. Are you guys with me? That is absolute truth. He is a God of reason and logic. He makes sense. He's not a freak of nature, okay? When people say, oh, well, can God lift a rock that's bigger than him? Uh, can you? No, he can't because he's not a freak of nature. He's not a God that doesn't make sense, okay? He gave us reason and logic, intelligibility, a mind to comprehend and understand. Let's keep moving. Gospel define. I kept this very simple. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture. It's good news. This gospel message that we're not supposed to be ashamed of is the good news of Jesus and the salvation that he brings. It is an unquestionable truth. So truth corresponds to God's created order. The gospel message is truth, and it is absolutely unquestionable. Quickly, three things that this gospel message contains. Number one is forgiveness. And please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm turning there with you so I don't rush. This is my pause. This is where I can take my breath. Breathe. Breathe, baby, breathe. 1 John 1, 9. Forgiveness is number one. If we confess our sins, somebody say confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is found in this gospel message, and it comes through Jesus Christ. No other message, no other book, no other God, there is no other God that can offer this to us. That is found in the gospel. Number two, restoration. Turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. Jesus came to restore a lost and broken mankind to its creator. We were separated from God the moment Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed his commands. He promises restoration. This gospel message that has been preached around the world, generation after generation, offers the message of forgiveness from sin and a restoration for creation to its creator. Let's read in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God. Somebody say, repent. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. 
Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. Say restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets, Jesus came to restore all things. There is not one thing broken in your life that Jesus cannot fix. He is the restorer of broken down walls. He restores the heart. He restores the mind. He restores life, which brings us to our third point. The third thing that the gospel message contains is new life. New life in Jesus Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter 5, verse 17. I'm taking my time so that we could all follow along with the notes and really allow just the word of God to penetrate our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a pretty popular verse. A lot of people, um, is, this is one of the first ones they memorize when they get saved. How many of you guys love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Come on. Therefore, if anyone, say anyone, is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That is our gospel. That is our good news, that Jesus came to set the sinner free. Jesus came to die on the cross as an innocent man, fully God, fully man, to offer forgiveness of sins, restoration, and a new life in him. That is the gospel message that we are not to be ashamed of because there's power in the name of Jesus. Woo! Number one, truth is never ashamed when being proclaimed. Never ashamed when it's being proclaimed. When we go out to the streets, are we street witness? We are to never be ashamed of this truth. This is the only truth. Turn to Acts chapter 2. You could fill in the blanks now as we go along. I'm giving you the full text that I wanted to read. Obviously, I cannot read verses 14 through 41 today. So for the sake of time, we are going to break this up. So I will be reading verses 23 through 24, 22 to 24 just like how it is on the slide and in your notes, and then 38 through 41. Are you ready? Acts chapter 2, verse 22 is as follows. This is Paul, this is Peter. He's standing up before the people right after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has just come upon them. They got filled, tongues of fire fell, and all the disciples, about 120 in the room. Jesus has already died and rose again. 100, 120 disciples were in an upper room. And the Holy Spirit fell like tongues of fire, and they all began to speak in other tongues. And they all came out, and everybody's like, what is this? Are they drunk? We all hear him speaking in our language. And here is the Apostle Peter um, directing the crowd and speaking to them and explaining to them what has happened. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan say deliberate plan see there's an order there God was not out of control he was in control by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross how many of you guys know to proclaim that kind of a message, you have got to be unashamed? 
you have got to be filled with some Holy Ghost boldness to stand up before somebody and say, you crucified him with wicked men. You nailed him to the cross. They're probably all looking at each other. I didn't do it. He was proclaiming to them the truth of what had just happened in that time of history. But God. Look to your neighbor and say, but God. Some of you guys need to say, but God, at the end of all of your excuses. Some of you need to say, but God, at the end of every trial and tribulation that you face. As Carmen testified, Carmen, I say to you, but God. But God will meet my needs according to his glorious riches. I've just been diagnosed with a sickness, but God. Jesus is our healer. You need a raise on your job. Things are not going right. Your life is falling apart. But God, amen? You fill in the blanks. But God is my healer. But God is my provider. But God is my restorer. But God is my savior. Peter said, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Woo! That's our Jesus. That is my Jesus. I hope that's your Jesus. Because it was impossible for death to keep him down. Verse 38 through 41. Peter replied, repent. He said to them, repent. Look to your neighbor. Say, that's not a dirty word. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. See, when we proclaim this truth, we are warning a corrupt generation to turn from the wickedness of their ways. There is a plead. Not everything is a yellow brick road when we proclaim this truth. Not everything is about you becoming better, you becoming this. It's not about me, me, me. It's about him, 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 and bringing glory to him, and talking about him, and sharing him with everybody around you. He warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation, because it's in their power to do it, because Jesus did his part. Their part is to accept what Jesus did, amen? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How many of you guys would love 3,000 people to come to Jesus as we preach the gospel on the streets of Chicago? I declare it in Jesus' name for revival of souls being saved in our streets and this community to spread like wildfire, where hundreds by the thousands are coming falling down on their knees saying, what must I do to be saved? Never be ashamed of proclaiming the truth. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. Do you accept that this morning? And do you accept the charge for this to be the proclamation that you make? From the people behind the pulpit to the people sitting in the pew, we must be able to proclaim the truth unashamedly and with great boldness. And what exactly is it that we are proclaiming as we stand up for this gospel message? The truth found in scripture relating to the forgiveness of sins, restoration, and a new life in Jesus Christ. 
There is no other book. There is no other message. There is no other God or messenger of God that brings us this truth concerning these areas. Not the Quran, not the Book of Mormons, not the Bhagavad Gita, not the world translation, not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith, not Buddha or any guru, not Charles Taz Russell. It's only the Holy Bible and the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Everything else will fall short. My God's not dead. He's surely alive, living on the inside, roaring like a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. How many righteous people do I have this morning? Full of the boldness of Jesus. His word burning in your bones like a fire. You're weary of holding it in. Come on. He saved us to be that way. He didn't save us to be broke, busted, and disgusted. He saved us to live a verifiable Holy Ghost burning fire in our hearts so that we could win a generation for him. Woo! I'm still excited. Are you still excited? Woo! Continuing on. I didn't want to spend too much time on this, but I felt like it was a good time to kind of bring this up because as believers, you know, part of the body of Christ today, we have to be very keen, very discerning of the teachings that are coming up in our midst. And uh, if you could change the slide, this is a book called Hyper Grace, written by Dr. Michael Brown. He's a very well-known scholar. Um, he has definitely studied and showed himself approved. He was a part of the Brownsville Revi Revival, awesome man of God. He's on Facebook. What is his, um, what is his page, Jared? It just slipped my mind. Thank you, ask Dr. Brown. So he just has a lot of wisdom, a lot of wealth of knowledge, and I just wanted to touch on this a little bit because there's this message that is coming our way, that is in our ranks, called the modern grace message, as if grace needed to be modernized. You know what I'm saying? Okay? And I just want to give you just a few clippets here of people that are in this rank, what they're saying, because we must be shrewd. Okay, as believers of Christ, we have to be shrewd. And when preachers are coming up and we see, you know, they have thousands of people and, you know, they're, they're successful in our eyes and, and God is blessing them. It doesn't mean they're preaching the truth, so we have to be careful. Now, not everybody is preaching heresy, okay? But follow this kind of teaching long enough and you're one step away from it. And I just want to just introduce it to you very lightly here. This is what the modern grace message kind of says, okay? One of the foundations of their message is that, the, uh, is that the moment you were saved, God forgave not only your past and present sins, but your future sins as well. Because that's fine. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the propitiation for our sin. That means our substitute. He died for all of the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, from all of history and for whoever was going to come, Okay? But when you become saved, the way your future sins get forgiven is when you get to that future, you commit the sin, and you repent to activate the forgiveness. Are you guys with me? According to them, this means that it is wrong to ask God to forgive you when you sin today. It is very wrong to think that your forgiveness 
is based on you forgiving others. Does that sound a little off to you? Doesn't it say that if we forgive those who sin against us, that God will forgive us? They are emphatic that the Lord's prayer does not apply to us today. And if we use it, we are in serious error, deeply misunderstanding God's grace. That's what the grace revolution would have us believe. They go on to say that if you haven't received the revelation about the new grace movement, you are a Pharisee, a legalist, a law keeper under bondage and under works, as if living holy is works. We are working for our salvation by living holy. Got to do away with holiness. Can't do that. Okay? Many, not all, okay? Not all of them. But like I said, in the church of Jesus Christ today, it's dripping. Okay? It's drip, drip, drip until it just becomes this mass flood. And it sweeps over and it takes innocent people with them. Because you preach this to somebody that's newly saved. It's a dangerous road to walk on, is it not? Many, not all, would say that if you don't embrace the modern grace message, you don't understand grace at all, and you're ignorant of what it truly means to be born again and are preaching a false gospel. I mean, those are the extreme, extreme people on that side of this modern grace movement. We're preaching a counterfeit gospel. So everything we just taught, you know, everything we teach about salvation, everything we teach about repentance and living holy, and you have to ask God for forgiveness, and you should repent, and it's healthy to repent. You should live holy. It's a false gospel. This so-called modern grace message has become a divisive force in the body of Christ. God have mercy. God have mercy. We must be prepared when teachings like this come in our midst. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. I believe I have this on the slide. I'm not sure. I might not. No, I probably don't. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13 is as follows. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and this is Paul talking to the church in, Philipp in Philippi, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. Somebody say Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, when we live according to God's ways, he helps us. That's called grace. Okay? Grace is not we don't have to ask God to forgive us so we can live whatever we want and just know it. we're already forgiven. No. It's dangerous. It is God who works in you. When you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, God works in you to act in order to fulfill his purpose. This is not a rebuke. Paul was not rebuking them. He was giving them an exhortation. He is exhorting, exhorting the Philippians to pursue their Christian progress without dependence on him being around. And that's what we do here. We make disciples. Live holy without us being up in your face 24-7 having to move into your house. Work out your salvation. He was specifically exhorting them to work out their own salvation, not working for it, but making salvation operational. Somebody say operational. Acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord obligates the believer to obey him. So when we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, 
you are obligated to follow his commands to the fullest. Be holy, for I am holy. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is not a scary thing, and it doesn't contradict living a joyful life before the Lord. Have, it means having a holy fear of God that trembles at the thought of sin. That's what Paul taught. And we must do the same thing. Amen? At a time when the church in the West, that's us, needs an urgent wake-up call leading to a fresh encounter with Jesus, the hyper-grace message is lulling many to sleep. Here are some examples of quotes and uh, some preachings of some old-time preachers. George Whitefield, he says, The riches of his free grace cause me daily to triumph over all the temptations of the wicked one, who is very vigilant and seeks all occasions to disturb me. Grace helps us to overcome sin. It doesn't keep us in sin. It helps us overcome sin. It helps us keep away from sin. True conversion means turning not only from sin, but also from depending on self-made righteousness. This is all George Whitefield still. Those who trust in their own righteousness for conversion hide behind their own good works. This is the reason that self-righteous people are so angry with gospel preachers. How many gospel preachers do I have in here? Because the gospel does not spare those who will not submit to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you heard something like that other than in this church? I'm just kidding. There's a lot of righteous preachers, but come on. The ones that are in the spotlight, a lot of them, I'm not going to name names. We need to hear more of that. We need to submit to the righteousness of Christ, repent of our sins, live holy. David Wilkerson, awesome man of God, basically had a revival in New York with the gang, started Teen Challenge all across America. He has gone to be with the Lord. This is how he preached. What makes us think God would judge every past society when they reached this stage, talking about America? And yet somehow we, who are more wicked than all of them, will escape. Woo, that hurts. God has never in the history of mankind allowed his name to go long offended. The judgments of God will fall in America so swiftly and mightily that there will be no mistaking they are from God. Every prophet who has been preaching peace, prosperity, and lulling a sinful nation to sleep will soon be exposed, and many have been. Because when he preached this, this at least 10 years ago probably, if not more, who knows when he, when he said this. In America, that place was at a bad state. How, how do you think America is at 2014? This nation will know that the time has come to pay up. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, a missionary who was martyred on the mission field. If you haven't seen the movie um, At the End of the Spear, it is a st- an awesome story of these families that joined together. What country was it? I forgot, I forgot what country it was. Brazil. And these families, they gave up everything they had here in America because God called them to go. And Elizabeth Elliot was one of the wives. And all these wives, they lost their husbands. All of them were speared by these um, tribal people. They didn't understand yet. They couldn't communicate. They hadn't learned the language yet. It's a powerful movie. If you haven't seen it, please look it up. 
But uh, this is what she said. Holiness has never been the driving force of the majority. It is, however, mandatory for anyone who wants to enter the kingdom. The word of God, I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of scripture. And it was Ecuador. Thank you. How come our crookedness shows when we put it up against the straight edge of scripture? It's because scripture is truth. Turn to Titus chapter 2, please. As we close out that one point here. Titus. This is Paul writing to his disciple Titus. Chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read all four verses, 11 through 15. Great, the grace of God has appeared. There's nothing wrong with grace. We love grace. How many of you guys live in the grace of God? There is freedom in the grace of God. We can't live a Christian life by ourselves. It is not by our own flesh and strength. Grace, grace, grace. But it's not a modern grace. It's a grace that has already appeared. Amen? Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Are you eager to do what is good? Are you eager to allow this grace that has appeared to you, that gives you salvation to help you say no to ungodliness and worldly passions? This grace that helps you to live controlled, a self-controlled life. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 15, these then are the things you should teach. These are what we should teach as we proclaim the truth unashamedly. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. We do that well. We do that well here, I must say. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Heresy is defined as where you take a half-truth and make it the whole truth, okay? That's heresy. That is certainly the root of all kinds of error in the body of Christ today. And it is crucial that we never forget that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is essential that when we preach, we preach with truth rather than just grace by itself. We cannot divorce grace from truth. They go hand in hand. They walk together like a happy little married couple. A compromised gospel will produce compromised fruit. A compromised gospel will produce compromised fruit. You living a compromised life will produce in you a compromised fruit. Look to your neighbor and say, not around these here parts. We will preach the whole truth and nothing but the whole truth, so help us God. Amen? Quickly, four things of which we can be sure when we proclaim this truth. Number one. 
God requires holy living from his people, period. Number two, because that's all I need to say about that. God requires holy living from his people. Number two, our sins do have an impact on our relationship with God. It will affect you. You will stunt your growth. You will go round and round and round the wilderness like the Israelites did, who were supposed to only be there for four days, but they ended up staying there for 40 years because of their rebellion, their sin, their wickedness against God, and they wanted to keep doing it their way and their way and their way, not repenting, not changing, not getting rid of their pride. Sin will have an impact on your relationship with God. Are you sick of going around and around the wilderness? Number three, you can preach grace and preach against sin at the same time. That's how it should be done. And number four, there is much in the Old Testament that remains of foundational relevance to believers under grace. Because what the, modern, the new modern grace message wants to, to say is basically, let's just do away with the Old Testament. It has no, no relevance for us. But how many of you guys know we still learn from what the Old Testament has to offer us? Jesus came to fulfill it. So we live in the fulfillment of Jesus. But there are things in the Old Testament that we must abide, abide by and learn from. There's a consequence to our actions. You'll be blessed if you do this. If you follow my commands, you'll be cursed if you do that. Still applies to today. Amen? Number two. The truth is never ashamed when being defended. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Again, I have a large portion listed there. I have verses 1 through 24. But we will only be reading 1 through 4. And I put them there so you because you're probably going to keep this booklet hopefully for a long time and not just throw it away or leave it in your trunk so it gets all soak, soaking wet. But I put these there so you could go back and read them, you know, because just the whole context of it. But for the sake of time, I'm going to do... Um, focus on verse 1 through 4. Are you ready? Acts chapter 17, 1 through 4. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, as was his custom. This was his custom, his habit. Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Because in his time, that's what he had to do to defend the faith, to defend the truth. He explained and proved to them that this is what Jesus had to do. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. It was Paul's habit, his custom, his way of life to go in and reason with those that did not know his faith. How much more us today? The reason why we have a Truth Is Conference this weekend is because we want to tell the world. We want to explain to them. We want to prove to them from scriptures that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? I'm going to read this really quickly, 2 Timothy 2.15. Just write it down. 2 Timothy 2.15. 
do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. How many of you guys want to do that? Do our best to present ourselves to him as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I hope and pray that all of you feel equipped, fully um, prepared to correctly handle the word of truth after a weekend like what we've had. And it doesn't end here. It continues. Because when you're hungry for God, when you're hungry for his righteousness, he's going to fill you. When you're hungry with his word, he'll deposit it in you. Today, the Christian faith is being attacked in so many different ways and on so many different levels. Our education system undermines the very foundation of the Bible, claiming that it's nothing more than an inaccurate book filled with ancient myths that were poorly handed down 2,000 years ago. That's what our educational teach, uh, system teaches our children. The media presents us as fundamental Christians as backwards, intolerant when it comes to social issues such as the gay rights, abortion, freedom of speech. We're the intolerant ones. We're the ignorant ones. And they distort issues like intelligent design versus evolution to make us as Christians look unintelligent and blind to reality. Why do we want to be able to never be ashamed when defending the truth? Because souls are at stake. Paul made it a custom, made it his habit, his way of life, to go in and reason, to go in and debate, to go in and tell people that did not know the truth, to tell them the truth. We don't do this because there's nothing better to do. We do it because souls are at stake. They're hanging in the balance of eternity. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands all around the world enter eternity. And they're either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands are falling into hell every single day. We stand up and we defend the truth because we want all men to know the truth. And his name is Jesus. That is why we do what we do. And so if you've found yourself being ashamed and you haven't been able to defend it with your family, with your friends, keep on growing in Christ. There is no condemnation, okay? But we must be prepared to answer everyone who asks us for the hope that we have. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Woo! The power of God. We are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Whatever Buddhist grace salvation message is out there, there is no power in that message. This is how we fight. We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. We don't fight like the world does. Our battle is not against man. We defend the truth because when we look at somebody, 
we see eternity. When we look at them, we see a soul on their way to hell without a savior. That is why we do what we do. Never forget that. We don't have this conference so we can become all big-headed and puffed up and prideful in how much we know. It's for souls. We want to win a city for Jesus. We want to win nations for Christ. We have to defend the truth, even if it costs us our life. Which brings me to point number three. The truth is never ashamed when faced with persecution. Whew. Acts chapter 6 through chapter 7, all the way to verse 60. It's a big portion. Obviously, again, I'm not going to read it all. If I could have Rachel come up at this time, please. When you are faced with persecution, don't be ashamed of it. Don't allow condemnation or fear to grip you. Because I know many of you, maybe even more of the youth, you might face it just in your homes with your parents. You know, we face it on the streets. We face it with our friends, our family, our coworkers. Acts, I'm going to be reading the, uh, th this part in your notes. It's from Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? This is Stephen. This was one of the first martyrs of the New Testament. And this was the only message he ever got to preach. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have not received the law that was given through the angels. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Are you willing to never be ashamed of the truth, even if it's faced with persecution? Not to belittle the types of persecutions that we face in America today. But if the furnace, the heat was turned on of persecution in our land, how many would make it? Because when governments come behind the persecution against the gospel, it's a whole other story. There is a beautiful part of the body of Christ today called the persecuted church. Our brothers and sisters around the world being tortured, suffering to stand up for this truth, being tortured to let people know that there is only one truth. If you could all stand up to your feet with me, please. I'm going to read off some stats. It's not a coincidence that when God dropped this message in my heart, I knew that this was going to be point number three for me. And as you all know, next Sunday, we will be finishing out the Beatitudes series. And Joe is going to be preaching on Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here are some statistics. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. First century, second century, 
third century, fourth century, all the way to the 19th century. Combine every single person that was ever martyred for their faith. The 20th century totaled to more than all those put together. About 170,000 Christians are martyred for their faith each year. Currently, over 200 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. Those are our brothers and sisters. Christians are persecuted in 131 of the world's 193 countries. North Korea, and that's been on the news, what they just did to the 33 believers there. Or if it hasn't happened yet, but that's what they're doing. North Korea in 2014, it continues to be the worst country in the world for persecution. We have to pray for other believers in these countries. Amen. Nigeria in 2010, Christians suffered terror from Muslim extremists. Whole village was massacred. India, up to 70,000 in Orissa, to northern part of India, very heavily persecuted. We have pastor friends that have traveled there, pastors that we've met in India that, have, that go there from the South India to go to North India to Orissa to preach the gospel. 70,000 there have for, been forced to flee their homes in riots against them. Indonesia, between 2000 and 2002, Muslims slaughtered 10,000 Christians. Iraq, half of Iraq's Christians have fled the country since the fall of Saddam Hussein. And Egypt, under Islamic pressure, Coptic Christians are being forced from their homes. Christianity has become the world's most persecuted faith. The least religious freedom is found in Saudi Arabia, Iran, Pakistan, North Korea, and Burma. And I want to tell you, they're shining bright for Jesus. Heaven will tell them their stories. We must stand up for truth in the midst of persecution, however it comes our way. We don't have to think less of ourselves because we're not suffering like that. It's not for everybody to suffer that way, but the ones that are, they need our prayers. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 is the close of Bible text for this um, truth is conference here. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God. And just like Pastor Lauren just preached moments ago, he who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What we really want all of you to take away from this conference is that it's all about Jesus. He is truth. He is our righteousness. He is our answer. He is everything. Tortured for Christ is a book that was written by Richard Wormbrand. He was the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs. If you haven't read this book, I encourage you to do so. It's actually free. If you look it up, you can get that sent to your house for free. Powerful stories of what he endured in the communist camps in Romania. He stood up in his generation to denounce the control of Romanian communism. They had come in, they closed down Sunday schools, they oppressed the church. He resisted them though, and he went underground holding services, and he was eventually put into prison for 
handing out Bibles and doing what he did. With everybody's eyes closed all around this room, we can move the table. We're going to prepare our hearts for this altar call. I want to share with you some of his experiences and what he wrote in this book. And with everybody's eyes closed and their heads bowed, if you want to raise your hands to Jesus, feel free to do so. Because if this message has to be caught, there are some things that are taught and there are other things that are caught. But we have to catch the heart of God. We have to catch his heart for those around us, for our life, for what he came to do. He is truth. Pilate retorted, what is truth? And the great I am was standing right in front of him. I am. I am. I am truth. That is his name. The worship team could all come up and join Rachel up here. This is Richard Wormbrand, and I want this to just strike your heart. Jesus has to break our heart. For the persecuted church, for us being persecuted, he has to get a hold of your heart to not be ashamed to preach the gospel, to proclaim it in all of its fullness, to defend it in all of its fullness, and to be persecuted for it in all of its fullness. Saying of his torturers, it was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching, and they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. I learned from them, he said, as they allowed no place for Jesus in their hearts. I decided I would leave not the smallest place for Satan in mine. One great lesson arose from all the beatings, tortures, and butchery of the communists, that the spirit is master of the body. We felt the torture, but it often seemed as something distant and far removed from the spirit, which was lost in the glory of Christ and his presence within us. When we were given one slice of bread a week and dirty soup every day, we decided we would faithfully tithe even then. Every 10th week, took the slice of bread and gave it to a weaker brethren as our tithe to the master. A man really believes not what he recited in his creed, but only the things he is ready to die for. The Christians of the underground church have proved that they are ready to die for their faith. The underground church is a poor and suffering church, but it has few lukewarm members. Whoever has known the spiritual beauty of the underground church cannot be satisfied anymore with the emptiness of some western churches. God is truth. The Bible is the truth about the truth. Theology is the truth about the truth about the truth. This is still Richard Wormbrand speaking. Christian people live in these many truths about the truth and because of them have not the truth. Hungry, beaten, and drugged, we had forgotten theology and the Bible. We had forgotten the truths about the truth, therefore we just lived in the truth. 
we could not think anymore. In our darkest hours of torture, the Son of Man came to us, making the prison walls shine like diamonds and filling the cells with light. We would not have given up this joy for that of kingly palaces. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. It's all about you. It is all about you, God. You came to restore your creation. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. It's about you. It's about a person. It's about God. It's about you as our Savior who came to die for the sins of the world. You shed your blood on Calvary so we can be forgiven, so that we can be restored, and so that we can have new life. You are our truth. You are our answer. You are the great I am. Jesus. Let's lift up our hands all across this room. Come on, lift up your voices and start speaking in tongues for a few moments here. We invite you, Holy Ghost. We thank you, Jesus, for this truth. We thank you for the gospel message of salvation. And we declare that we are unashamed of it, oh God. We will be unashamed to proclaim it. We will be unashamed to defend it. And we will be unashamed to be persecuted for it. Help us, God. If I could have all the altar workers come up to the front. If God is moving in your heart as the band gets ready to lead us out in worship, some of you need to take a bold stance for Christ, a bold stance for your faith. It doesn't matter how long you've been living for Jesus. If you have become lukewarm in any type of way, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Move on hearts right now. Brother, you can go straight to Pastor Jared. He will pray with you.